You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tajan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Mic check, mic check. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this episode of the nine finger chronicles and uh as you can tell by the title i'm in a pretty good mood man i uh i shot a a target buck a buck that i had picked out from day one on a new farm that i got access to and uh um i was i just so happened to um have him walk in i shot him a little back and uh this episode is that story and so I don't, I'm not going to get into too much of it um, in the intro here, but today we have my good buddy Mark Kenyon from the Wired to Hunt podcast. He's actually going to be doing the interviewing. He's going to be interviewing me. So we, we kind of flipped the script and I let him interview me about the buck that I shot uh, during my rut this year. Now, I am getting a lot of messages from guys right now, basically asking me like I feel like they must feel it's crunch time right a lot of rifle seasons are have started or about to start and they feel that once that gun pressure kind of hits then their uh, approach to hunting has to change or it just I don't know it must just suck right I, I I don't really have a lot of experience with this with a because I hunt in Iowa and why Iowa is so good is because we do not have a gun season during our rut, right? And that's what makes Iowa so great. Now you, you add a gun season to our rut. 
Iowa will slowly go downhill until it's just like every other state. And so anyway, what I'm getting at is um, I, I don't have a ton of experience hunting uh, like a massive amount of intrusion or pressure like the opening of gun, uh, like the gun season. And I can't sit here and tell you that I have any type of strategy that's any different for a, a a guy who is a gun hunter i would assume that you could do the exact same things that a bow hunter does and come up with the same results now the only thing is as a gun hunter your range is just longer right you can get away with not being in the 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 right spot you can find you can sit on a field edge or you can sit in the timber and and find pockets to shoot longer distances and so that i guess that would be the benefit the benefit of hunting with a, a firearm or a rifle or a gun or whatever the the case may be but here's what i will say is do not give up because the second you give up then then you know your season's over but if you don't give up you continue to grind you continue to go further and harder and I mean, sometimes you don't have to go necessarily further. You just have to go where people are not, right? And that's going to take some movement, right? You can't sit in the same spot and go, well, nothing's happening. Well, no shit, nothing's happening. You're not making it happen. If you're struggling this year with locating a, um, a good caliber buck or, I don't know, even just filling the, the, uh, the freezer, man, there's so many things that you can do. Uh, there's so many, th- just move, right? Find a new spot. Uh, it might mean you have to take down your, your tree stand and move it, but it's better than sitting in the same spot and getting the same results, which is no deer, right? So um, it is now the time of year to be aggressive, especially if your vacation or your uh, PTO days are dwindling down. You only have a handful of days left. so. In my uh, opinion here is today is the 14th of November and the 14th of November, mm, I I very rarely make it this far into the season. And when I was uh, working the cubicle life and did have to have a lot of uh, PTO, uh, used PTO for my hunts, I, I usually back in the office by now, right? And so I've taught myself how to go find deer and go be the most efficient with the time that I have and so it's probably getting down to crunch time for a lot of us some of us may already be in that week back to that weekend warrior stage and so now is it almost starts to revert back to the early season strategies where yes the deer are still running right Uh, research shows us that peak breeding is November 14th and that they're now we're on the back end side and I'm not talking about the guys with the southern ruts right that's a completely different story but here in the midwest you know even a little bit uh, south of the the traditional midwest out into Nebraska the Dakotas we're starting to we're on the back side of that bell curve and now that we're on the back side of this bell curve we're going to see less activity um, except for my trail cameras tend to show a bubble, another spike that pops up here where the does are all kind of getting bred and then buck movement increases as these deer start to look for the last available doe and then it just kind of shuts off after that, right? And it shuts off pretty hard and fast, 
right? The deer slowly go back to nocturnal. The does have all been bred. They're getting back into their, their doe groups and life goes back to this bed to food pattern, right? Sign starts to shut off, all that stuff. But here's what I will say. This year has been strange and I've talked to more people this year than ever before talking about how this rut has just kind of been funky. And here it is 25 degrees in Iowa right now when I'm recording this and the high today is supposed to be uh, low 30s, high 20s. And so as a bow hunter or just a hunter during the rut, you would think that that these conditions are superb, but I was still watching doe groups all the way up until I shot my buck on January, excuse me, on November 6th. I got buddies uh, throughout the entire Midwest who are just like, man, I'm still seeing doe groups. I'm not seeing the hardcore chasing. Uh, I'm not seeing the sign. I'm not seeing, I mean, it's just like a really dull rut. And um, when you have a dull rut, that means that you actually have to be more aggressive in your strategy and go find them, go find the sign because they're not rutting or they're, they're not not rutting, right? So that means they're doing it somewhere. They may just be slow this year and they're not just, you know, like hardcore grunting or rattling isn't going to work in a scenario like this. They're, they're, they're just, it's going to be spread out it's not going to have these giant spikes. And so you got to be mobile. You got to be more aggressive. You got to go find them and then set up on them. And so that's, I mean, if I was to be given a recommendation, that is the, that's what I'd be recommending right now is if you're struggling, move. And I know that's easy for me to say, uh, because I don't hunt your properties. You know, your properties better than I do. And so maybe it's just uh, be more patient. Maybe it's be less patient and be aggressive. Or maybe it's time to maybe even back out for a couple days. Let the pressure of a certain property kind of reduce and then get in there. Uh, get in there in a couple days or something like that. Or wait for the next cold front or whatever the, the scenario might be. But um, think about it. Get on your, you know, I like I said, I'm on a hunt stand all the time. And I'm just kind of looking at land and and seeing what there could be for potential access routes and and how the deer move through the terrain brainstorm it's okay you don't have to know brainstorm think of a plan put it in action if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't and you move on so i mean there's no there's no real good advice this time of year other than to uh make just go out and make it happen right if you get busted well hey you were close to the deer but your stand was in the wrong spot, so you got to find a new spot. Uh, other than that, I think we're going to get into the episode today. But before we do, uh, huge shout out to Tethered. Um, that Tethered, I, th- I feel like the more I use it, the more I become comfortable in it. And I can see myself using it more and more and more. I just have to break the cycle. I know that sounds like a kind of a drug addict. Uh, but I need to break the cycle of just using a tree stand and just take the, the, the saddle for what it is and, and just apply it. And so I've, I've hunted, uh, off and on with it this year. Like I said, and like, you'll hear the guys from tethered say it's a tool. It's not uh, something that, I mean, some guys, they use it every hunt. Some guys sprinkle it in. I'm at, at this point in my, I guess I'm brand new to it. I'm a sprinkle it in guy. I only use it 
when um, I, I don't use it. I shouldn't say I only use it. I haven't used it solely yet, right? I use it as a tool. I sprinkle it in with all my other hunting strategies and I really like it. So if you're looking for an awesome saddle and saddle hunting accessories, go check out Tethered's website. Tons of information there as well to make you a better saddle hunter. Wasp archery, dude, the the jackhammer did its job this, uh, you know, last week or the week before, whenever it was, when I shot my buck. And it created a lot of damage and that mixed with me being patient the deer died and i was able to recover it and so that makes me happy uh so if you're looking for a badass uh, lineup of uh, products or broadheads you need to go check out wasparchery.com a majority of their heads are made in america my my two favorites and what i used to kill my buck this year is the wasp jackhammer and then the uh, boss four blade so go check out those two heads hunt stand i've already mentioned that i've been on hunt stand just documenting my entire season they have the new pro whitetail uh, upgrade that has a ton of functionality so here's what i'm just going to tell you to do so i'm not going to list all of it but go to huntstand.com and read up on all of the upgrades from uh, hunt stand and i think you guys will be pleasantly surprised last but not least vortex optics uh, title sponsor here on on the podcast great group of guys they're laying down some deer this year congratulations to all of them and not to mention that they have I, I mean I just find myself gravitating towards my optics whenever I hunt whether I'm out west and I'm using a spotter or I'm in a tree stand I'm just always on my optics picking apart the terrain trying to find movement before it finds me and uh, I use it probably the most if you want to put it in outside of the weapon category right outside of my bow outside of my arrows I use my optics more than anything else and so huge fan of uh, vortex their optics their lineup um what is it the the, i have the new crossfire hd 1400 uh, rangefinder this year that thing is badass go check it out Uh, vortexoptics.com and uh, oh a wasp i have a discount code for wasp broadheads what is it nfc20 wasp archery nfc20 that's going to get you 20 percent off and uh, go take advantage of that now all right, ladies and gentlemen, we are done with the commercials. We're done with the intro. Let's get into my 2022 buck harvest recap story. That's the worst. Uh, with my good buddy, Mark Kenyon. Three, two, one. All right, on the show with me today, who's going to also be a guest interviewer, Mr. Mark Kenyon. Mark, what's up? Hey, buddy. It's good to be here. Yes. Love love the fact we've got fun stuff to talk about. Absolutely. It's this time of year, when we hop on, one of us has gotten the job done. And so it, it's at least or one we, of us. Or we failed, or we failed spectacularly. <laughs> right. We right. have had those conversations before, too. <laughs> right. So one of the, so what do you think you're doing wrong? I don't know, man. Uh-huh. I, I have no, no idea what I'm doing. We've had way too many of those over the years. Exactly. <laughs> And so um, we're going to break down my recent Iowa bow kill uh, on this episode. You're gonna, we're going to flip the script. You're going to do some of the interviewing and break down the hunt for me, and I'll explain everything. And then 
the other thing I want to talk about real, just real quick before we get the, I get into the meat and potatoes is talk to us a little bit about your season high level real quick and talk about your recent struggles with the rut. Yeah, man. Um, so the 30,000 foot overview of my season, um, well, had a, had a challenging hunt in Idaho. Um, did not have anything like it had been in the past years as far as deer and all the same hunting pressure was there, but all the deer had gone undercover completely and relocated. So made for a tough week in Idaho. And then fast forward to October in Michigan, I killed one of the mature bucks I was after on opening night um, locally, which was awesome. And then uh, throughout the rest of October, just got to kind of relax a little bit, take, took my son hunting, hunting does, kind of did some observation sits, did a little scouting and some Ohio stuff. And then uh, finally, end of October, headed to Nebraska, where I killed a really awesome buck on the first day of November. And that was great. And then left Nebraska right after that and got to hunt for four days in Ohio which was uh, less great. So that's the 30,000 <laughs> foot overview. What do you, is there anything you want details on? Yeah. So real quick, uh, I always like asking this question, especially for guys who kill multiple deer in a single season. And I know that the Nebraska buck and the Michigan buck were at, at two different time frames. but was there anything similar about those two uh, successes that you can pull out and share with us? Hmm. Similar. I, I guess, you know, scouting would be the thing that killed both of those deer. Okay. And, and by that it, it was twofold scouting the buck in Michigan. I killed that deer because of scouting that I did with trail cameras and the buck I killed in Nebraska. It was scouting by way of a map and then one night of glassing. Okay. Um, so in Michigan, that deer, Basically, I killed that deer in, in part or a big part of it because I had put a bunch of cameras out in August, mid-August, and then I never went into that area again for six weeks. Wow. I did not touch it again until October 1st, not once. And what I did have, though, was cell cameras that were telling me what was happening in those six weeks that I stayed out of there. So I knew that this deer and several others were using this kind of back region of one of the properties I have access to, and I knew kind of where this deer in particular was coming from most of the time. So I, I kind of had an idea that this buck was betting on the North section. There were other bucks betting on the South section of betting. And previous years, I kind of knew where these best betting areas were. So ultimately when I had to decide where I could hunt on opening night, you know, there's a long story of what happened there. And you and I actually talked about that on my podcast. Yep. Um, but because I had that trail camera data and because I stayed out of there leading up to it, I knew that I could pivot to, um, this particular stand site that wasn't my number one option for the evening, but wind got funky. So because of that wind funkiness in like in the moment, when I got out there in the woods, I realized I had to pivot. My scouting told me I still had an opportunity with this wind on this buck if I headed to the north. So I was able to do that. That trail cam data told me that was a viable option. And sure enough, he did what I was hoping he would do. And I got a shot in Nebraska. I had, you know, this is like 14 hours away from home. So I couldn't be out there hanging cameras and stuff. I couldn't do all that stuff. So I basically just had map study work I did in the off season, looking at this map, thinking through what I thought the deer would be doing. And then the night before we could start hunting, me and my buddy 
sat up on hilltops in two different parts of this property and glassed down to a river bottom. And this was to try to confirm or disprove my assumptions based on that e-scouting. And essentially I was able to confirm that there were deer in this general area. And then that led me to then sneaking in the next morning in the dark, uh, going in there and setting up in this little, this really cool little river system pinch point. And sure enough, that evening, two bucks did exactly what I was hoping they would do and got a shot at one of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. So two bucks on the ground uh, this year already. You struck out in Ohio. And it sounds to me, I, and this is just one of those conversations that I had with, you know, had with you on the phone while we were both kind of driving, I think. And it sounds like it was just like one of those no deer movement, like what the hell's going on type scenarios. Yeah, it was a ghost town. I mean, November 4th through 7th. So days that should be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw two does total, like not a single buck. Yeah. And one doe that came within range, and then one doe I saw like 250 yards away in a neighboring property. And that was it for those four days. And that was 47 hours, I calculated. So I did three days where I never left the tree. Damn. And then one day where I left midday and did some scouting. Um, so that was a lot, a lot of time <laughs> in like really good bedding cover. Awesome stuff. It should have been awesome with, with zero deer. And that was yeah. hot all those days. Every day. I've never had this. All seven days of that hunt between Nebraska and Ohio were more than 70 degrees, man. Like talk about crappy weather for the rut. Right. But, uh, yeah. The weather in, uh, in Iowa recently has been really great. If you like to sit on your back patio and enjoy fall, (laughs) but for, for, for the deer hunter, just not so much, man. I, I, I can agree with you 100%. We had that huge rain system come through. I don't know if Michigan got any of it. I think they did. Um, but in Iowa, we had like that that 36-hour rain event where it just yep. – my entire November 4th, I stayed in a hotel room. I didn't even go – I went outside to grab some food, um, and then I checked some trail cameras while it was raining. I moved some – you know, I moved some stuff around, but then it kind of got warm again after that, uh, after that event. And here now this weekend, it, it's happening right now in Iowa. The temp it is, we're in the process of the beginning of this cold front. And so the next 10 days for anybody who's listening in, in as far as the Midwest is concerned, hold on to your butts because we're looking at a 30 degree temperature drop, you know, dropping down into the the thirties and twenties. Yeah, finally. Yeah, it's finally. Uh, very, very nice to see that in the upcoming forecast. I'm excited about it. Are you going to try to go back down to Ohio to hit any of it? I think instead I'm going to hunt in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got I've got one deer I'm still after in Michigan, and uh, so I'm going to hunt three days for that buck once that cold front hits, and then uh, gun season opens, unfortunately, on the yeah. 15th. So that kind of changes everything. So then I'm going to leave my – my good properties alone during gun season so that they can kind of be a sanctuary. And right. uh, instead going to head up to our Northern Michigan deer camp. I'm going to take my son up there and uh, hopefully just have a good time with the family up there. Yeah, that'll be fun. Okay. So we're going to, this is the point where we, we spin the table and now Mark Kenyon, you're, you're the leader of this episode. So go ahead and uh, let's kick, kick off this episode where we break down uh, my recent success in uh, Iowa here. 
Well, man, I gotta tell you, I'm a little nervous. Okay, I've, I've never, I've never done, th- I've never done this before. Uh, so I don't know how my hosting abilities are gonna be. So be, be patient with me. Yes. Um, I'm just learning, learning as I go here. Thank, thank God for editing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. So, so first off, congrats you, effing lations. Yeah, dude. On an awesome buck, dude. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy with him. I'll be honest, man. As far as the the deer that were on this farm. This was, and this is no joke, I, I put a cell cam over top of a mineral back, uh, some mineral that I put out in August when I finally got access to this farm. And this buck that I shot was no joke, the first deer, the first picture that that cell cam uh, sent me. When you got that picture on your phone, what was your reaction? Boing. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like. Yeah. Uh, I, cause when I, cause I earlier that, um, when I went to go hang those cameras, I did a little scouting mission and yes, there was a lot of trails in there, but there was no, you, you know, you've been there before you walk into a, a piece of timber and there's just old, old rubs everywhere. Um, it, it, you, you would say, Oh my God, this is going to be a great bedding area, or this is going to be a great, yeah. this or that. This farm did not have that. There was no sign in there that were, was overwhelmingly saying, big bucks live here. And so I really didn't know what really what to expect. What? So, so I don't know how much you've explained previously, but you picked up this new piece, right? This is a new farm. Um, from what I understand, you did a little bit of stuff, a little bit of scouting, a little bit of Mm -hmm. work that was done before this rut hunt. But can you quickly recap you know, you got access. What did you do prior to your rut hunt on this property to get you ready for rutcation? Right. So, um, I got a hold. I, you know, I talked with the landowner. He gave me permission, and so I think it was the next week. I don't know what I was doing. I had to go. I was. I was running down. I was going somewhere. I can't remember where I was going, but I was talking with him. Uh, talking with him while I was on the phone. No, actually, it was um, me and me and Sarah went on a, a vacation together. And so I talked to him on this vacation. And as soon as I got back then, after I got permission, I went up, I hung one, two, three, four trail cameras and zero tree stands at this point. One of them was a cell cam, uh, laid a little bit of mineral down right in front of this, right out in the middle of nowhere. And then uh, and then just came back right it was it was a a day trip real quick real fast trip and other than that and then I started getting the pictures of the deer that were on this farm which then confirmed it it is time to put some energy into this farm you know it's like all of a sudden all this all this data comes in and then you really start to focus on all right, let's look at access routes. Let's e-scout. Let's do all these things and, and really focus on, uh, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. I know that sounds out, you know, played out, but the cool part about this is this is a brand new farm. So I'm starting from scratch on it. And just kind of, just kind of as a reminder, this is the actual part that I love the most because on, on my old farm in, uh, it's closer to home, closer to where I grew up. I've been hunting there for 14 or 15 years or something like that. And 
I know all the spots. I know the deer movement. I know where most of the sign's going to be. I know where the bedding areas are. So it's just a matter of getting in there, right? I know where, where they're going to move. This was all brand new to me. And so I was on, it was learning on my feet, learning as I go, kind of how I grew up hunting. And it, so it was really exciting for me. Okay. So uh, tell me this before we go any further. Can you, can you give us like a, a description, a little bit of what this property looks like? Right. How big is it? How's it lay out? What are we talking about here? Is this like a 10,000 acre mega property? Is this <laughs> no. 10 acres? What do we, what is this? So this is 240 acres. Okay. And it is in like 280. So it's like, it's two eighties, which are 100% egg field. I guess there is in one of them, there's a little strip of timber that comes up. And at the end of that tip of the uh, timber is where uh, I put my cell cam in the mineral, right? Or a little, a finger of grass, basically a buffer strip with a couple trees in it. And then there is a 80 acre rectangle up to the north of that and it can only be accessed through so basically it's like corner crossing right so there's a there's a gate on this corner of this property that that's the only way i can get into it is this and then it's an 80 and a majority of that i'm gonna say three-fourths of that property is grass and pasture that they mow for i'm guessing cattle and they mow it they bale it and then they they get it out of there but then there is one strip of timber on the west side of this. There's a pond that kind of butts up against that. And then another very little uh, finger in a CRP field in there as well. And so what makes, what I'm finding out is what makes this, that part of it, that's where all the pictures of the deer came from was in the summertime it was that mineral site but then once i went in and actually checked cameras in early october when i went to hunt that is when i got to see all of the deer that were on this farm and so what makes this particular property so awesome it is it's just imagine a big divot in a terrain so every all these other on different properties all these other drainages and fingers and draws all come down into the bottom of this property so it is i guess i would call it a hub and and so that's where the deer like to hang out all these does all these bucks coming and going and it was just like a train station and so i don't know that that is that is what really got me excited once i could once i started doing a lot of the e-scouting looking at how all these other properties just naturally came down into this it was i don't know it got me it got me jacked up yeah it sounds incredible yeah uh so you you came back once in october right mm -hmm. what what'd you get done on that october trip i hung two tree stands i hunted an afternoon a morning and an afternoon and so this is the crazy part first hunt on this property i'm walking in i i'm e-scouting i know exactly where i, I want to be I'm walking in through this little grass transition area where it looks like an old an old farm tra uh, trail used to be out or there, but then it's been washed out over time. That leads to this CRP field. And so I'm walking in there to set up a tree stand, and sure enough, I bump, which I'm pretty sure was the buck I eventually shot. He was he was bedded down right at the this little juncture. And so... Really? So that was the first 
time I saw the next day, um, or, or that night I got up there, I saw another shoot potential shooter. He was at a distance. Um, another big eight, another, these were both eight pointers, but another shooter caliber just for like second. So I knew I was in the right spot on the right farm. I was, you know, it confirmed everything. And then the next morning I went in, got busted a lot that morning, um, from the, the, the morning travel coming off the fields down into the, what, what I'm assuming is the bedding area. And all these does were catching my scent and how they were coming back. And so it was, it was, I was nervous that morning because I didn't want one of these big deer to come in and bust me right away as far as scent was concerned. And so just a lot of does and young bucks that morning. And then that next night, um, I, uh, it was like four o'clock. It was a good, right at, right as some cool temperatures in, in early October were happening. And, uh, a really good nine point buck, uh, got behind me uh, on a neighboring farm. And, uh, I hadn't like just, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, but that's before time change early October. So this deer was on his feet r- way early. And then I saw a couple other, um, bucks that, that evening as well, just way long distance. The cool thing about this farm is not only does it all converge down into one place, it's fairly open. So, you can do a lot of glassing and see different parts of the farm if you're in the right spot. And so it it was awesome to kind of get that idea of where the deer were moving and what the bucks were doing. And so that was the first experience in, in that farm as a hunter. So you had three sits and you saw three different mature bucks. That's uh, four. That's pretty darn good. Four, 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 four deer that, Jeez. Well, I don't, okay, as far as now, now I know that one of them is not mature. He's a three-year-old. So it would be three and then one big eight-pointer. That's a three-year-old. Um, and so it it was, it, it, the story behind this. That's a heck of a, yeah. that's a heck of an early October sit. Yeah. A couple days there. Exactly. And so I'll, I will give a little bit of info about how, about this particular farm. There was a gentleman. He was a hunter. I don't know how serious he was. Um, For sure a gun hunter. I don't know if he did any archery hunts. But I think he was just kind of a, I don't want to say a weekend warrior. He he really, from the more I find out about this guy, he really liked hunting. But he wasn't as serious as, let's say, me or you, from from what it sounds like. Uh, More of a gun hunter, more of a, you know, sit, sit out and go enjoy nature kind of guy, right? So then the last two years, or he was, he started battling cancer. Unfortunately, he lost his life in the battle with that. Um, And so for two years, it sat empty. No hunting on that farm for two years. And, and so by luck, I got, you know, by straight, straight up luck, got access to this farm. And so when I walked into it, dude, there was no tree stands on this farm when I did my scouting. There was no sign of humans other than, you know, tractors mowing the grass. And so no people were going into the timber. No people were out there, you know, uh, uh, in the mornings or in the afternoons when deer movement are moving. And on top of that, it's surrounded by other really big chunks of farms where people take hunting very serious, right? So I I don't want to say necessarily managed per se, but they're not, they're not shooting three-year-olds. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. This sounds like a dream scenario. It, 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 it is. And I still honestly don't believe that I land in it because it's one of those, it's one of these farms where, man, and I, I feel comfortable saying this because I've had a really good talk with the, the landowner. It's a family farm. It's been in the family for hundreds of years, like over a hundred years, I think probably closer to 150 years. Same, same family has always owned it and they're going to continue to own it. And so now that there's no hunter in the family, I'm that guy who gets to step in and, and I'm just, you know, I can't believe it really still. I'm just really appreciative of how I got, how I got access to this farm. And so long story short, this is the farm that is, I don't know. I feel like I should be paying somebody to hunt it. Like, right. You know, like it's a lease or it's a, um, it's an outfit or I need to be paying a ton of money to have access to it or whatever, whatever, however you want to look at it. But I don't, I just have permission on it. And so that is, man, it's just, it's really awesome. Man. Thank your lucky stars. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you threw cameras out there in the summer. Mm-hmm. You get a big jumbo on there. The first picture you go Boeing, you go back in October, yep. you hunt three times. You see 1900 different nice big bucks. You realize this <laughs> thing's the, this is the Taj Mahal, right? You're sitting pretty. We get to late October. You're trying to figure out your rutcation plans. You and I talked just yep. prior to November. Yep. You told me that you were trying to figure out, do I hunt my standard places? I usually hunt that I have for 15 years or yep. do I hunt this new farm? You said you're going to go check cameras at the old farm, yep. get a sense of things and then decide where you're going to focus. Right. Um, t- tell me what happened there and how did you decide to focus on the new farm? Yeah. What, what led to that? Right. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It, it's very simple, Mark. I went and I, I checked trail cameras and trail cameras. Here's what I found on trail cameras. Lots of two-year-olds, lots of wild dogs, lots of other hunters, and lots of uh, just people, just traffic. Like this year, I found out that these back pastures where these horses have pretty much just been wildly roaming are now cattle are in there grazing right so the landowner has let um uh some cattle back in there the there's other there one of the other hunters you know that i've always had to deal with they're not they're not the big issue but there's another hunter in there i have in the same day i have this is no joke mark i have pictures of him uh, i think i have 10 trail cameras out there he's on nine of them in one day (laughs) oh god i mean just zipping through on his side by side or excuse me his his four-wheeler all day long, multiple times coming in and out. And I don't think this guy is hunting. I think he's just, you know, uh, whatever. Anyway, you know, I don't want to get really pissed, but it's almost like he's doing it on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. And so anyway, he's all over the place. Uh, the farmer's going back to check his cattle all the time now. And so, I sat down like I always do with a handful of SD cards and I started flipping through the pictures. 
And you, in the past, Mark, we've talked about this particular farm and, and how awesome it has been, right? Yeah. And the one year, I think the year that you were the most blown away is I had seven deer over four years old on this farm in one year, right? And yeah. that's that's just absolutely crazy to, to think. It was awesome. Yeah. And this year, one deer, he is a four-year-old. Everything else was younger than him. And so... Jeez. And so, and that, that was, that included all summer velvet before some of this uh, traffic started coming in. So I had one picture of a big eight in, in, um, in velvet, just one, three, three picture series. I think he probably got bumped off a different farm because I don't have any picture, pictures of him yet this year. Another big eight that was early October, right? And I, I think he's still there now. If I, if I went to go back and check cameras, I'm sure he's probably in that area somewhere. But other than that, nothing. We're talking two-year-olds and maybe one or two three-year-olds. There's one three-year-old who I hope doesn't get shot. But other than that, the farm was dead from a deer standpoint, but extremely active. When I went in, and usually that um, late October when I went in, because uh, I think I went on the 30th to go check cameras and then come back home for a Halloween party. I'm telling you, no no big rubs like usual, no big scrapes like usual, just a dead farm. And so I, I, it made the decision easy for me to say, you know, hey, when, when the time's right, I'm heading. I'm heading to this new piece. Yeah. Yeah. So that said, though, I mean, it's, it's exciting, yes. like you mentioned earlier, to be breaking down a new farm. But at the same time, you've got all your eggs now in this basket, which mm-hmm. is a brand new farm. Mm-hmm. You've hardly ever hunted. Your whole rutcation is depending on it now. Yep. Uh, where was your head at in those couple of days before you headed out? And what was, what was your game plan leading into rutcation now that you have? I mean, you've got two stands out there, said, but I, I had two stands. Uh, but one of them was, you know, I got busted a lot out of these two stands. So I knew that there was going to have to be some adjustment on stand locations and tweaking, uh, getting in and out of this place. Uh, so I, I, I really was, I was thinking about it. But like the couple days leading up to it, once I made the decision to go, other than like sitting at my computer or on hunt stand and just like, scrubbing access routes just looking at topo lines and trying to see where topo lines met cricks and things like that really really i I wasn't paying attention i was just focused on trying to get work and and getting my kids to all their activities and just being a dad and a husband at that point before it was time to head out and and so i really wasn't thinking that much of i don't know what was kind of what was going on it wasn't until really the drive down there on november 3rd that it was i don't know i I started to think about it more when it comes to the, the this though man i'll tell you this mark the more i hunt in the areas that i hunt southern iowa southeast iowa man the last three or four years I have just not seen the chasing in the first week of November that, you know, that gets me fired up. I've, I still feel it's that pre-rut time frame where even, you know, a lot of guys go November 1st equals the rut. Well, I don't think that way. 
I don't, I didn't see chasing even, even up into the six where I shot my deer. I didn't see any chasing. I saw deer getting downwind of does and sniffing them and then, and then losing interest immediately. But other than that, like it, it was, it was pre rut action on this farm. And so I, uh, and, and just throughout the years. And so I really wasn't in a big rush to get to this farm. The reason that I, I left when I did was I had a couple meetings. I had a couple kid activities. And then after all of that stuff was over that week, I ended up uh, getting out Thursday, Thursday afternoon on the third. It, I, I hit the road and started heading down there. Yeah. To, to your point, I feel like, I've also noticed that first week in November, mm-hmm. more and more and more now. I, I want to look into this and see what the actual data says, but it sure seems like we've had a lot of early, or sorry, a lot of hot early Novembers lately. Like it's not like a one-off thing. I feel like almost every November, every couple of years now, the the first week of November sucks because it's relatively because yeah. really hot in the Midwest. Um, yeah. So. I've actually thought about that too, like starting to plan more of my rut trips a little bit later, just because that yeah. early November time period is so hit or miss with the weather. Yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily think this is what I believe. I don't think, from my experience, it's necessarily temperature driven because I can remember years where even cold snaps, where it's like thirty degrees, you're sitting in the stand, it's November second, you're like jacked up waiting for this stuff to go down and it just, it's not going down yet. Right. You're still seeing doe groups. You're still seeing, um, you know, if you do see a mature buck, he's, he's just kind of cruising. Even the young deer aren't acting crazy yet. And so I just have noticed that, that even up until, man, I was like, my birthday is on November 5th every year. And so I just like, even I don't get excited up until maybe my birthday. It's almost like the fourth I've killed. I I say that I've killed more deer on the fourth of November than any other day uh, of hunting. And so, but they've all been either by themselves or, you know, you turn them with a grunt or something like that. They've never been chasing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The buck I killed, there was like, no serious rut stuff going on at all either they were basically you know some light cruising Mm -hmm. but no chasing no checking does nothing they were just kind of bopping along so yeah interesting to see that uh but november 3rd you're on your drive you finally get to think about stuff walk me through the game plan you put together uh leading into that first hunt yeah so here's something different that happened in october all right, so October, I picked up an e-bike, all right? And I think you've had some some e-bike uh, experience. The first yeah, I just t- got one this year too. Yeah, so the first time I, I, I had to park away and walk into the farm, and the whole farm lays to where if, if the deer are up, they're watching, they can see that gate and they can see everything coming through that gate. So it's almost like I'm just getting picked off left and right, walking in and out. That's it. I have, I have 16 feet that I can walk through to get on this farm. Everything else is surrounded by other, uh, farms and they all, I mean, tower blinds and blinds and tree stands all around this farm. Right. So I knew that they weren't going to let me. I haven't asked yet. Maybe they will. I don't know. I doubt it. 
but um, I didn't I didn't do any digging into that. So here's what I'm going to say about this e-bike though. It gave me an advantage from an access point because walking in, I was jumping deer from however many, you know, like a quarter mile away. They see me and they take off. Even up in the this, this CRP field that overlooked that gate, I would see them in there and they would run away, okay? Luckily, they were mostly does that were running away. But with this e-bike, man... <laughs> Man, I, I, I feel like such a hypocrite because back in the day, I used to talk trash on e-bikes, right? Mm-hmm. And now I have one, and these deer just watch you. But you're a piece of farm equipment. You're a, a tractor. You're a, a truck. You're a car. What, what you aren't is a human. And so you're just you're cruising through there. You're going at a good speed. They say, okay, well, that's not a human, right? I'm just going to sit and watch it, especially in the mornings. You know, I'm, so hold on. Did you did you see this? Like, did you ever see deer watching you? Yes. Or you just yes. You did. Uh, especially in the mornings when I would go in, and I would watch these deer at twenty feet, not even move. They just stand there and watch me. And I had my headlamp on, and I was cruising, you know, just going down the two track, and and they just stand there and watch me. And I'm like, the only time they would run is if they were standing on the true track uh, in front of me. But if they were off to the sides or in the fields. And they, I could just see their reflect their eyes and they were just watching me. And then I would be gone in just a second because those things are much faster than I walk. And yeah. like foreshadowing, man, I drove that e-bike straight to this pond, put it on the backside of the pond. Basically my tires were in the water and I would, and I would walk 30 feet to my, my stand that I had set up. And so, so no scent trail, either. no scent trail. It just like it, man. I'm just gonna say they're awesome, not cheap. So one more, but awesome, not cheap. Yeah. yeah. So what about this? Here's another thing I found myself debating because yeah. I I now have an e-bike too, and so I'm debating on using it for certain access routes in and out and stuff. And you know, there's a number of spots I have that's really hard to get out after dark. Yeah. Or go in in the morning when deer are out in the fields. Yep. And so I thought, man, this is the ticket to take it out. You know. In the dark, I'll drive through here and, you know, won't impact this stuff as much. But when you're coming in in the daylight, you know, I could you typically I could sneak in and out during the daylight. So if I'm leaving in the morning or if I'm coming in in the afternoon, I can slip in, you know, perfectly silently and nothing will see me. But if I take the e-bike in, I make a lot more noise because those things do kind of bounce yeah. and jiggle and jangle and, you know, yep. you're not sneaking. Yeah. Do you worry at all about that sound? No. Or or not? Because that's what I've been debating. It's like, am I worried about making sound when I'm coming with that? No, I make a I make a fake motor noise with my mouth. Did you do it, Mike? No, um, no, I don't. Because a tractor is louder, right? Uh, yeah. A truck is louder. Side by side, a four wheeler, all those things are louder than this e bike. So, it's what I think it is. Is it's that consistent noise coming and going to where they see it moving. It's not like a vertical upright stomp, 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 stomp. It is this, you know, this, this, this very light moan. It's, it's not even a, I mean, it's, it's just quiet. Right. And so even at other than the, the crunching of the grass or the, the wheels on the grass from 50 feet away, you can't even hear the motor. So I, I had, I was just weighing my options. I was like, what 
what is going to have less of an impact, me walking or the e-bike? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to try the e-bike. And, and uh, dude, I saw a ton of deer. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a good case study right there. Yeah, exactly. Based on what you had happen, you know, yeah. there in that situation. So, okay. So tell me where you, you know, you've got the e-bike now. That's changing your access plan. Yeah. Uh, first hunt. First, What'd you do? First hunt was the afternoon of November 3rd. And so instantly through e-scouting, the cool thing about on, um, on some of these satellite imagery that I use, you know, I use hunt stand. And so, so they have this really high definition map that you can look. And so I'm zooming down and I can actually see trails coming through the CRP. And there's this very small CRP field. And I mean, the size of a house right? Maybe a house in a yard and it's behind this pond wall, right? So there's a pond above, above it and it all comes down into the, it kind of meets the timber, right? So they don't mow back behind this pond wall. There's a couple trees, they go around the pond and then they follow the, the timber edge and that's how they mow, but they leave this CRP right behind the wall and satellite imagery sh- showed this main this main trail coming out of the woods looping through giving me a shot at like 25 or 30 yards or something like that. Right. So I'm like, well, um, I can't, I don't want to go into the timber because I, because that timber is so narrow, this, this, uh, property, the area that I hunt this 80 acres is only 400 yards wide east to west. And so that strip of timber in there is if I would even to go in there, I can see through it, right? Up into the next property. And so I just felt that number one, I didn't know where these deer were bedding um, 100% of the time. So what, what I wanted to do is I wanted to sit on the outskirts of this in some kind of staging area or gathering area, or maybe even if you want to call it a transition area. And and so my first hunt was this um my first hunt was get behind the pond wall or drive the e-bike to the pond, put the e-bike on the back end of the pond, and then walk down because I had a I had a southwest wind, and so I wanted my my scent to kind of blow over the water across the pond and to the other side of the pond, right? And so what this what this would have done is it created a, a scenario where the deer necessarily couldn't get downwind of me i mean they could have if they walked right on the pond wall but they weren't really they you know i don't know it, they didn't do that and so i was kind of set up on a corner of the pond with my scent going across the pond into a different you know up to the bank on the other side and that's where i set up and um man i just it it, it turned out being really good because it did not take long for me to see deer moving, not only back in the timber, but just throughout the entire farm. So not only was the stand location, I felt good with that particular wind direction, but I really do think that my access route with that e-bike saved, like saved the day, saved the trip, probably. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That's what happened. Yeah. Spot sounds awesome. Yeah. What'd you see? So right off the bat, two does show up. Actually, you know what? Let me take that back, Mark. I That afternoon, it took like th- two hours of me sitting in the tree before I was like, man, I haven't seen a deer yet, right? The last time I was here, I was, I just saw deer all over the place. I'm hoping that, you know, nothing boogered anything up. Like it wasn't me, this, you know, the e-bike or whatever, whatever was going on. And then I started seeing deer. And then that just kind of, that calmed me down because I was looking at uh, a, a doe and a fawn behind the pond on the, the, the upwind side of me so they weren't and then another a, a broken buck came in and he st- he just he got downwind of that doe he did one and then he walked he they walked away and he bedded down in some of this grass by the pond and then a big group of does came through uh see it no no i saw one small buck into the timber that was it and then the sun starts to go down and a big doe group, I mean, 12 does came out and they were trotting and I think they were heading to the pond. And so all, all of these does walked right in front of me, not downwind at all. And one doe, the wind had shifted from Southeast or excuse me, Southwest to straight South. And one doe got above me, uh, downwind to me. And she started stomping and getting real nervous. They didn't blow at all, but she started stomping, which triggered all the other ones. And so they all slowly turned around and then went back into the timber. Okay. And so, um, so I was like, God, I hope, I hope a buck doesn't do what they just did. And so they ended up going away. And now that now it's starting to get darker and darker and darker. And, um, the, the sun is now behind the terrain, but it's, you know, there's still shooting light left. And that's when the big eight pointer stepped out down the uh, down on the opposite side of this CRP field, very close to where I had another stand and the where I bumped the big buck from the first hunt in October. All right, right in that little juncture I was talking about. And so he's he's he makes a scrape, and then he turns around. And he starts to walk kind of diagonal away he does he's not following the the finger he's kind of cutting through the crp field so i pick up the grunt call and it's kind of windy and i'm just like Brap. he doesn't he doesn't seem hear it Brap. and i just try to get louder and louder and louder and he doesn't see me so with one hand bow in one hand and he's probably about 100 yards at this point away from me maybe a little further i'm taking my uh, rattling antlers and I'm, I'm not rattling per se, but I'm just like smacking them against each other. And, and like, I don't know, just with a little wrist action and he stops and he looks and he starts coming my way. All right. He gets behind a tree and then I, I lose him. So at about 80 yards, I lose him. And now he shows up at about 40 yards, but he's behind, uh, some more trees. And now the, the sun is getting a little, you know, getting a little lower. It's starting to get, I mean, we're just outside of gray light. I mean, there's still color. And so then I, then 
he he's he's getting ready to step out so i pull my range finder out bow in one hand range finder in the other and i'm ranging the grass where he's at 38 yards okay so he's walking through kind of slow he's looking for this fight i range him 38 yards i clip in try to draw back uh no he he kind of turns walks away from me so he's 100 percent away walking away from me now it's like he's getting around a bush and so i range again go to clip in at 42 yards and so finally he's and then so he steps out of the or what did he do i range him at 42 he comes back and um around another tree but he's further distance and he's getting ready to like just walk out of range so i put my 40 yard pin right above his shoulder i'm guessing spine level and i'm thinking you know that's that's and my 50-yard pin is right at the bottom of his stomach, all right? So he's, I'm assuming he's somewhere between uh, 45 and 50 yards. Or, well, no, he's not, not 50. But I'm guessing he's right around this 45-yard mark. So I drew back, and I settle in. It's a little dark, but I felt like I had a good anchor, had a good thing, pulled the, pulled the release. <laughs> Arrow drops right underneath of him. Hit the grass. He, stand, he just stands there. And he kind of looks down around him. It's, remember, it's windy at this point. And so he puts his head down again, sniffing around, and then walks out around another bush. I range him one more time. And then he's at, what was it, 48 yards at this point. He's at 48 yards. And he's getting ready to walk into the timber. And so I draw back one more time and... I'll be a hundred percent honest on this. I probably should have not taken the shot. Um, he, he had moved number one. He had moved away from the original ranging spot. I already missed him once doing this exact same thing. And then also it was, it was probably too dark for me to shoot. And I don't want to mean, I don't mean like legal shooting light. I think there is plenty of legal shooting light left, but my, my site housing is a five pin site. It was dark. The lights were bright. You know, I think they call that sight blindness or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I had, I had a little bit of that and I, I pulled the trigger again and uh, the arrow sailed, sailed right underneath of him. And so I, f- I found that second arrow the next day when I went to go check trail cameras, there was no blood on it or anything. And he walked away and I saw him multiple times, uh, throughout the throughout the that next three day period but nothing man didn't hit him and then it was dark right so i got i was like man if this is things to come first off first off missing a deer sucks right i was a little humbled i knew exactly what i did wrong i shouldn't have i probably shouldn't have even taken some of those shots but i felt a little pressure needing to make this a quick season, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, miss, miss, get down, go back to the hotel room and, and, and regroup. So two things, two one, did, what was your, like, what was your lesson learned from that miss from that experience? Was it simply like too dark, shouldn't have taken it? Or was there anything else that you can like say, well, this is a learning moment. This is a growing moment. I'll be better because of X. Was there anything? Yeah, man, this is difficult. This is a difficult part of it. And that is the, 
ranging a deer that's not just staying on one plane going by you, but changing levels, right? There's all these little bushes. And so he's not walking in a straight line. He's kind of going around them and he's sniffing around. He's looking for why he came into that place in the first place. So he's coming closer to one thing and then he's going away. So I have all these quartering toward shots and quartering away shots. And I really ultimately was trying to get him broadside at some point. And I thought that was going to be my best bet. But the mistake here that I made is I think I, number one, I, two, two things. Number one, I guessed on the range when I should have maybe tried to range him, clip in real quick, stop him, then draw back. Or, and the other thing was just the, at least the second shot for sure was just, there was no, I mean, it was, it was probably just too dark. And so I just needed to come to a point where it's, Hey, you just you can't you can't take those shots if you're not a hundred percent comfortable with them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that happens. You get back to the hotel room. You're feeling the pressure. You're bummed out. You missed an opportunity. Yeah. You, you've ran out of brownie points. So you need to get home soon. And then is rain. this when the weather moves in? Yeah. Thirty six hours of rain. And so you, you're rained out, right? Rained out. And so. You know, a lot of guys were like, dude, you need to be out there. If that if those deer are in the area, man, you need to be out, out there in, in sitting in the rain. Dude, I don't do that. I'm not gonna <laughs> like, I, like I don't I don't hunt all day and I don't sit in rainstorms. Have you ever seen this guy's knees before? <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy's knees. Uh, no. He doesn't do rain all day sets. <laughs> I don't do I don't do all day sets and I don't do rain. And so and so you know, I had the I have uh, some rain jackets and things like that where I was like, okay, well, it's break. It might break here, or it might, you know, it might let up. And every time I looked, when out you my, say when you say rain jacket, do you mean garbage bag? No, I don't mean garbage bag. I actually have a <laughs> real rain jacket now. It's not it's not good, but it's still better than a, a garbage bag. So we've we've you've evolved over the years. Yep. That's good. Yep, I've, I've I've grown up a little bit. All right, so sorry. Continue. No, and so, um, dude, rain delay. I'm not joking, man. It was, it was 36 hours of rain that morning. I got up and it's actually started sprinkling the evening of the third, the, the main front moved in about 3am in the morning. And then it just started raining and started raining. And it was, I think that area over that 36, some of those areas, including the one I was in saw five inches of rain in a, in that 36 hour period right so lots of rain came down and sometimes it was really hard and trust me man i was like you know man i I really do want to get i want to go do something you know because i've said it before hey you know this is a perfect rain is a perfect opportunity to go do this or go do this and so i did and so that morning i had some coffee wait waited for it to get light i looked for in the radar where the hard rain would stop for a little bit and it would just rain normal. And so I took that opportunity to get back there and check all my trail cameras again. All right. I went through all of my trail cameras. I even, uh, changed out some trail cameras, put a, a cell cam in one spot and added another camera, um, to, to the Northwest corner of the farm. And so I did some work. Then after I checked my or pulled 
all the cards, switched all the cards, moved the cameras around. I went in and I said, you know what? Why not go set a tree stand up um, on, on a part of the farm that I don't have? And so it was the uh, the north north part of the farm. It meets up to a standing cornfield and a really big CRP field on a different property. And so I went up in the northwest corner of this this farm or of the property and I started hanging four sticks in in a tree. And I'm like, you know what? This is going to be awesome. Get in there, lay down my scent. The rain's going to wash it away. And then that next night or the next time it rains, I'm going to come to this spot. And so I'm hanging four sticks and then it starts to lightning. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm out of here. Like, I did not want to, like, I did not want to get struck by lightning. And so, and so um, I got four sticks hung as I start to hang the, like, go down to bring the stand back up, just crack, crack, crack. And the lightnings, and I just gave up, put the stand in got back into my truck and got back to the hotel room. But the cool thing is, is that I felt like I accomplished something in that time frame. Yeah. I got a little wet. Uh, but with that said, I, I had more data and I also had one less thing to do of, you know, put up my climbing sticks when, when the, when the rain breaks and I can just put up my stand. Right. So I got, I had something, something going for me. So then yeah. the next basically 24 hours from i think i got done at about 10 a.m doing that or 10 or 11 a.m it just rained that whole night it rained that next morning and really hard at times and so i was just in the in the uh stand watching you know the world series or a movie or i mean it, it get it got pretty boring in there after a while not to mention on top of all this man i felt sick as shit I was not feeling well, um, like shortness of breath, um, upset stomach. Like I was eating half of a meal a day at that point. I, 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 I was not eating and cause I just wasn't feeling well and I felt tired and exhausted. I, I can remember walking up a hill to get to my e-bike and I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, like just a regular hill. And I had to stop halfway to catch my breath. So I, something I had some virus. I feel better now, but I had something going on with me. I'm not sure what it was. Needless to say, um, the the e bike definitely came in handy. You know, when you're not feeling when you're not feeling well and you don't have to walk all that. So, the next hunt was let's see, November 5th on my birthday. Uh, sat out that morning because of the rain, and then the next afternoon, I I got in the stand. I was in the stand at 11 o'clock in the morning. I, I put the back or the, the stand on my back, took the e-bike in, walked down or hit it behind a hill, walked down into, the, uh, into where I had set those four sticks up, set the, I don't know, I set the stand up, got hooked in, sat down, instantly started seeing deer movement. I mean, Mark, I, we talk, I've talked about this hundred times on the wire to hunt podcast. I know I've talked to you about it several times on while we're recording and off it, but I am a absolutely huge fan. However you want to say it of being out in the timber, the second it stops raining and not just like a really little rainstorm that comes through, but one of these major rain events, like we had, I was yeah. looking at my wall downstairs and I think like 
it since 2016, four or five of my bucks have been shot in the 24 hour period, either that night or that next morning of after major rainstorms, right? They just get on their feet. And especially if that comes with maybe a, a slight temperature drop, which this did, man, I, I will from now on till I I'm done hunting. I will be in a tree on those on in those conditions. Yeah, you can't beat that kind of situation where they get they get kind of hunkered down a little bit during like a huge rain event. It slows yeah. some of that movement a little bit, and yeah. they maybe they miss some of that typical feeding time they would do, and exactly. then bam, as soon as it's done, man, they're like, "All right, it's time to catch up." Yeah, here we go. Exactly. And so, man, I was bored sitting in the hotel room. Flipped the script. They're bored sitting on their big fat bellies, you know, out exactly. in the, out in the woods. And so, I got in the tree and five minutes man if, if i if i showed up five minutes later the deer would have seen me set up my stand and so i ended up getting um i ended up seeing three does come by a very small buck came by and this was all within the first 30 minutes another buck came by uh 45 minutes a um a doe comes out of the corn just hauling ass running right towards me and i'm like game time baby like i just visioned a giant stepping out of this cornfield mm-hmm. and, and following this doe and this doe walked oh dude dude and i'm gonna tell you about this stand mark the wind was i was nervous once i got in there because have you ever been in like a draw or something where when the predominant wind kind of halts for a second you feel swirls a little it's not almost a swirl but more of a breath like the wind sucks into a spot yeah it sucks so it's like a a pendulum of scent just kind of coming back down and forth but when that but when that wind would come and blow all of that out then then my then my stand was locked tight right i was right on top of a crick um my wind was blowing into the crp field uh, into kind of off to this cornfield, and so the the deer movement was all around me, which was awesome, except for when where where my wind was blowing, and so I was getting nervous because the wind starts blowing and and shifting when the wind when the predominant wind slows down, and I don't know, almost like a thermal shift uh, uh, of some sort that was just sucking in and going, and and I didn't like it, and eventually. I did, I did get, um, busted by a couple deer that night, uh, just because of these, these shifting winds all night. And not only was the predominant wind shifting, but with this thermal breathing, so to speak. So I get in that, I get in that stand dude. And it's just the rest of the night was just consistent deer movement. That doe that came down, she stood in front of me for about another 45 minutes, just she kept looking back into this field really th- I, I thought something was coming i like i very rarely pick up my bow in anticipation unless i see a deer but i had my bow in my hand and i was ready if something came uh, out, out of that cornfield nothing ever did gotta love that excitement though yeah yep and then and then it really started to pick <laughs> like i i say that but then it started to pick up even more and it's just kind of it's a little bit upsetting honestly Dan, I, dude, I, I, feel this. dude <laughs> I feel you i feel you dude, i feel you dude i found a honey hole i found a honey hole um and like 
even the farm that I hunt, my main farm that I hunt or the farm that I, I lost and I hunted close to home, I would see deer, but nothing like what I saw. I mean, I saw number of deer back in the day in the late nineties, early two thousands. I remember getting out of the timber and if I was in high school, I'd go home and I would talk with my mom and I would say, dude, I saw 25 deer tonight, man, the late two thousands, early, early twenties, you know, or 2010s or whatever, however you want to say it, dude, just like the numbers. I, I never saw those numbers anymore, right? I, I never saw 25 deer a night anymore. And so I come to this spot and it's like the good old days, right? And I'm just like, holy shit, this is awesome. I remember how much fun I had just looking at deer, seeing deer. Yeah. You know, now I now that comes with a little bit of a risk when there's all these eyes and ears and noses just yep. all over the place. But yep. um, that dose, she's standing, she's standing still in front of me, looking back under my stand, five yards from my tree. Um, and then I heard like these heavy steps coming through the woods. And I look at it, and I thought it was one of the shooters. I have a, a eight-pointer with a split G2. And I go, oh, my God, here he comes. This is a deer. I, I reach for my bow, but then I look back, and he's got a smaller body. And it's a smaller version of this deer. And so that buck comes down. I think I already mentioned this, but he sense checks this doe, and then he turns around and walks away. He doesn't even show any interest. He, he got downwind of this doe, um, and she's a no-go. And so he turned around and walked away. And then at about a hundred yards, there was like a deer party back there. I mean, a, a scrape party. This buck goes in there. He bumps another buck that must've been bedding down there. And so at one time I'm looking into the timber in this little low spot. So all I can, I can't see their hooves, but I can see their heads. One of them's rubbing. Two of them are are scraping the other one's doing a licking branch and they just they're they're scraping and they're rubbing in a circle and then it was crazy because the the big one the big one would go around to all of the other ones that these guys did and like i think he pissed on top of all of them to say actually this is my house not yours right so um i tried to grunt to see if any of those deer would come in and they they didn't because there was there's a joke in here i'm not gonna say but there's a joke in here what's the joke Nah. Dude, you got to say the joke. You can't say I have there's a good just, joke. There's just this circle, these bucks, oh, and they're rubbing yeah. and doing stuff. Yeah, circle <laughs> and, jerking. And I'm not going to go any further, but there's, there's just a joke here that's been making my lips kind of smile a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Anyways, anyway, so these frat boys were all hanging out, right? And, and yep. uh, the does kind of worked up into so like there's on the opposite side of this farm is a cut cornfield and so they went up in there right and and the wind just led them right to it a couple of the deer came down right in front of me you know broadside opportunities at you know five yards six yards something like that but all the other big deer kind of came up and followed the does out so i look back in there about 10 20 minutes later and i see I can only see the back of a head and the bases and the bases were huge. There, there is this, there's a nine pointer out there. He's not huge as far as long tines, but his main beams and all of his antlers um, are just massed out thick, big mass, like mass deer, big body deer, probably a five-year-old, maybe a six-year-old, just this crazy rack, real tight, not very wide. 
but just mass. And I thought it was him. So I picked up the horns. I rattled and, uh, he didn't stop what he was doing. He just kind of, he, he made a scrape and then he worked his way up where all the other deer were going. I should, I, I don't think I should have done that. And I, I say this because that three-year-old eventually got downwind to me. He looped back. I think he heard me rattle. He looped around looking for the fight and he got downwind to me and he busted me. And so he took off running. But then the rest of the night, a group of does came through um, and the movement just slowly stopped. There was two does that, um, a, a two does and a fawn that worked their way through and just it, nothing happened. What I was surprised was with the, um, me looking out at the, uh, through my binos at this cornfield and at the CRP field, I, I just wasn't even seeing much deer out in these spots that I would assume that there was a lot of deer hanging out in, but that is what it is. Maybe I didn't see him. Maybe the grass is too high. And so I wanted to come back to this spot the next morning, but I had east in my wind uh, for a very, no, no, excuse me. It was a straight south wind and it was going to shift from south to southwest all the way to northeast by the end of the, the day. And so I had to go back to this pond. I wanted to go back to this pond wall uh, set that was locked tight on a south, uh, not necessarily a south, but as it started to shift early morning into the southwest wind. And so I got back, looked at all my options and said, hey, I'm going to go back to this pond wall because, you know, I've, I've had good action there before. And, uh, and I think that's, and so that was the next step to get out and then get back in the next morning. So the next morning... You go to the pond set. Mm-hmm. You e-biked in, mm-hmm. so your access is better than it would have been otherwise. Yep. Uh, you get up in this spot, and this spot. Describe to me why deer are passing through this. Is it just because they're coming to that water, or is it just because they're crossing because there's this like pond dike crossing kind of thing? Yeah. Like what's why is that? Uh, I know why it's great for you with the wind yeah. blowing over the water, but what's right. great about it for the deer? I think after looking at this, it is just a giant pinch point on the entire area. To the south, we have a finger coming in. We have the strip of timber that leads to this. We have this little grass that leads up to the pond. And then the pond acts as almost a staging slash transition area because around the pond, there's some trees. Staging area that leads to cornfields up top or uh, egg fields up, up top on the other farms. So I really just think it's a hub of, of deer activity, deer movement. Like the does came through, they were hanging there. The bucks are there because the does are there. Um, there's, there's scrapes, you know, the, there's some rubs that, that had kind of popped up. There's some scrapes along these, the field edges that I could see when I was riding my bike in and out. And so, you know, it, it just, I felt like it was the, the the spot within the spot you know how i mentioned that that farm was the train station for the entire yeah. the entire spot that spot yep. was where the engineer set all aboard right everybody has to go through there at some point right to mm-hmm. to get to this and if if they didn't come within shooting range i could see them cross from the timber through that little junction into that finger or coming from the finger into that and all i needed to do was throw a grunt at them okay 
And so, yep. man, I was just like, I, I, I was, I was very confident I was going to see a shooter that morning. I don't know why, but I was like, hey, man, this is it. November sixth, this is it. This is the day. Everything was just set perfect. I saw a ton of deer activity the previous night, and so I'm still in that 24-hour post-heavy rain window when they were probably just cruising all night long laying scrapes, right? They were just yep. on their feet. And so it gets light and the first deer that I'm doing an interview on my phone, doing an Instagram story and I'm saying, Hey man, I'm really excited about today. Oh, there's a buck. And so I put my binos up and it's the eight pointer that I missed. Right. And so the eight pointer that I missed is walking right to me. He walks through this little path where they mowed and he hits that trail, right? That I talked to you about the e-scouting and he's yep. on this e-scout trail. And so, man, I was just, he came out, he came in on the other side of a tree though. And so there was this very short window where and while he's walking, he's doing that same thing. He's going back and forth along these bushes. And I said, I'm going to wait for him to get like all the way away from me. And then I'm going to hit him with a grunt. And then he's going to turn around. I hope he's going to turn around. So I'm going to actually let him walk by at about 35 yards in an inconsistent pattern to hopefully grunt him in and get him close, closer to me uh, where he stops naturally maybe i don't know that's kind of just what was going through my head so mm-hmm. he he walks by i did this don't i love this i hit him with a yep he stops and turns around and on a on a wire he walks 40 yards straight to me he was probably about 80 then he takes a hard right and he walks up on the pond wall and he takes a left and he's walking right toward me i actually draw back on him and my mind starts saying look at his body i don't know why look at his body look at his body look at his body and i looked at his body and my brain just goes three-year-old so i passed him (laughs) and so so, the buck you the buck you shot at two two days earlier yep two days earlier, twice yep you now pass i passed and and i was just like what are you doing what are you doing? You are a dumbass, right? I let him go. <laughs> you know, you got the little devil and angel on your shoulder. The one uh-huh. guy's, the angel's like three year old. The devil's like, lay this motherfucker out. <laughs> you know, like lay him out, right? And so I, I listened to the angel, and he turned around and he walked away. He couldn't find anything, and he turned around and walked away on his natural path. Went down, laid some scrapes, and he was out of my sight. And so it was at this point, probably about seven o'clock when he came through. Um, and I said, you know what? I never do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to rattle because of all the deer that were in this area, there's got to be something close. Who knows what, what is here, but there's got to be one mature buck that's within rattling distance. So at about seven o'clock, I cracked the antlers together not like I look back on it and I say, maybe this had something to do with it. Maybe it didn't. I, it's hard to tell, but I cracked the antlers together and nothing, no, nothing comes in. So, so far it's just that 
eight pointer that comes in, nothing else. Hang up the antlers and I'm sitting there just waiting. Didn't see any does, no bucks in the distance, nothing. Like the farm was just, it felt kind of dead. 30 minutes later, all of a sudden I hear some crunching of the leaves in around on the pond. If the wind was out of the south, I would have been busted and toast with this buck coming in. But the wind shifted to the southwest and he came in. And I looked at him. I saw the brow tines. I go, it's him. It's him. It's the, it's, it's the guy from the first picture that I had. So he's still in the trees. I grab my, uh, that were around the pond. I grab my bow, get knocked up, stand up. And he's walking. He's head on at me now at 20 yards. He steps out of the tree. He's, you know, 19, 18, 15. I go to draw back. He's another, another frontal shot was what I'm thinking on him. And my release was not clipped in. And when I went to go pull back, the release gave way and my string made like a boing and my arrow just bloop right out of him, right out of the bow, landed five feet in front of this buck. And the buck looked at the, looked at the arrow, looked up at me and I'm like, I'm never going to see this buck again. (laughs) (laughs) I will Uh. never, ever see this buck again. And so long story short, um, he puts his head down, stiffing around. He loses interest in me. And he kind of, he kind of, I don't, he, he walks, he's walking away from me. I have to knock another arrow at this point. So I'm slowly knocking an arrow, slipping it through my rest, trying to knock it up. And there's mud in the tip of my knock. So not only did I have to put a new arrow in, but I had to, you know, you, you scrape the mud with your bowstring out of the arrow and then get it knocked. I had to wait for him to draw. Like I, at this point I didn't want to stop him because I felt like I felt if I stopped him, he probably wasn't going to take it very well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely got to be on edge after that. Exactly. And so I wait for him to pass behind a tree branch. And at this point he's 20 yards from me, draw back center, and he's moving, and I'm just like, God, just put the pin on his shoulder and pull the trigger. And I did, and I hit him, and my initial reaction was liver, right? Liver. He kicked. He kind of did a kick, not a mule kick per se, but he kicked, and then he turned around and ran away. And um, believe it or not, this is when it gets crazy. This is when the story gets crazy. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Uh, so, so I said, I'm waiting, right? I, I I'm going to wait. So I, I stayed in the stand for another hour. I watched him run away. The last time I saw him, he was, he stopped and his tail, you know, when a deer is hurt real bad, their tail flips, flip, 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 flip. I'm like, he's hurt bad. I don't know what I got him. I saw the arrow hanging out of his other side when he ran away, but I didn't know. Like I, I couldn't see blood, anything like that. So long story short, like call my stepdad. I call a couple buddies. I'm um, just like, oh, you know, this, this, this. 
I wait in the stand for another hour. Hopefully, I can see him doing something in the back. Like maybe he cuts up the CRP field or he goes through the timber in this opening that I can see into. Nothing. Hour goes by. Get down. And I've been in this scenario before. A lot of us have. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to... Um, I am going to back out and I'm going to back out for a long period of time, you know, when in doubt back out. And I've never heard a statement uh, about deer hunting. That is more true. You know, people say, Oh, hunt cold fronts. Oh, hunt downwind to bedding. The number one in the, in the deer hunters guide to survival should be when in doubt back out. And, and I think that's the reason why I got this deer to be honest with you. And so Six hours go by, or no, I, I, I go into town, go back to the hotel room, chill for a little bit. Let, I let five hours go by. I'm on the phone with a guy about a dog. He goes, well, I'm not even going to track your deer. If you, if you think it's a liver hit, I'm not even going to track them until 24 hours. And I said to myself, God dang, 24 hours, man. A lot of coyotes in the area, potential for the meat going bad. Like all these things yeah. are going through my head. But if I bump him, then I don't get any of those things, right? And so anyway, I say to myself, okay, I'm going to make a decision about this dog, but first I'm going to go to impact. I'm going to walk and try to find my arrow. And if I can find the arrow in the first 50 yards, then I feel like I'll know a lot about this deer. And in the in the first 50 yards, man, I am not seeing hardly any blood, just little specks, nothing major. And then I find the arrow. Thank God I found the arrow covered in blood, but it was liver blood, right? Um, not lung blood, liver blood. And I'm guessing there were some guts on the back end, which in my opinion, obviously means blocked hole, exit hole. Sometimes that, that can happen. Um, the arrow did come out. I'm guessing the cavity filled with blood and he's wa- and not to mention he's walking through tall grass slash CRP, right? Which as you know, is the hardest place to, to track blood. Right. So, um, I back out, call the guy and I say, I'll see you here tomorrow. And he come and I, I sit all night staring at a ceiling fan. <laughs> like just, did you get any sleep? I, I did, but I had a couple beers um, that relaxed me for a little bit, but then yeah. the, but then at three o'clock I woke up wide awake and he couldn't be there until like eight o'clock. And I, st- I literally stared at my ceiling fan from three until six. <laughs> and then I started Ugh. getting up, making some coffee and things like that. But, um, those, those weights are so brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And so he comes, this the guy comes out. This is where the story gets kind of weird. Dog comes out. 20 minutes into the 20, 30 minutes into the the dog sniffing around, he finds a buck. All of a sudden I hear the, the handler go, good girl, good girl. This is awesome. Good girl. And I, 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 I'm, I'm like, yes, they found my buck. This is awesome. Uh, and so relieved, so, so excited, relieved, sure. so excited. I come up over this knoll, look down in the Creek and <laughs> holy shit. I go, I don't think that's my buck. Ground shrinkage. Yeah, yeah. I go. I just don't like. I this this buck doesn't like. It, it doesn't make sense. I don't think I shot this <laughs> this buck. Now, Mark, 
I will be. Was the there f- a little bit of you as like, dude, am I losing my mind? Yes. This is the deer I shot? Yes. A hundred percent. I lost my shit. It, internally. I was like, dude, I need to rethink my, 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 what I think a good deer is. Cause I got hyped when this, when the deer I shot ended up stepping out. But as or, you or know, thinking, how much, how much did I drink yesterday? Yeah. But as you know, Mark, like I also in the past am guilty of shooting deer that I think are big, but they're yeah. not right. I've been there before. And so you're easily excitable. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, uh, I'm like, um, Hmm. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't think this is my buck. The guy's like, well, the deer or this dog followed from this, you know, where you did find that blood from your arrow down here came right to this buck. And I'm like, God, I just don't. Okay. All right. So I like, there was a time where I accepted this. I'm like, I can't believe so crazy. Yeah, it's, It was, I can't believe this. So we're getting ready to walk away or I'm getting ready to put my tag on this buck. And I said, I have to roll him over to see where I hit him. Right. Because this buck is only 60 or 60 or 70 yards away from where I hit him. Right. So when I picked that arrow up the the previous day, he was he would have been like twenty or thirty yards from me, all right in in this creek. And so I ended up I end up going to I roll him over and there's no arrow wound. I me and this this dog trainer or this dog handler literally did an autopsy on this buck. No entry wound, no exit wound. Half of him was already eaten by coyotes. Um, this buck was actually still warm to the touch. Not like wow. a, not like a deer has been overnight. So I don't know. Could could have been sick, died, coyotes got him. He could have been run down by coyotes. He could have been hit by a car uh, a week ago and then finally just died. And then coyotes got him. But this was not my buck. And so the dog hand somehow he just happens to die he, right yes, in the same place you shot a deer. Exactly. In this path. And so this dog now is confused, right? The overwhelming scent in the area all comes back to this buck. And so he, the handler tries to take him out again. The dog loops around and keeps bringing him back here, bringing him back here. And I'm like, Hey man, I'm going to go check this trail camera. I have over here foreshadowing alert. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to check this camera. Maybe this camera still has life in it and, and maybe caught him. If it would have, it, if it did have batteries in it, it would have picked him up by the way. Um, and so he ends up taking this dog for another hour or so. Just like um, he ends up taking this dog out multiple times and just keeps coming back to this deer. And I'm just like, God dang it, man. Just this sucks. Finally, he has to go didn't find the deer uh i take him back to the truck i go over to a buddy's house who lives in the area and we bs for a little bit and then it's just like i come back out and i'm like it's grid search time right there's nothing else to do except grid search there's not a lot of blood there the dog couldn't find him and so this is where i start to get a little depressed so i start at impact follow find walk to where I found the arrow, walk to where we found last blood. And I draw kind of an imaginary line through the terrain. I walk this, I'm eating an apple. I cross a little creek, standing at the top on the other side, take the last bite of the apple, throw it in the creek, 
before I took my next step, I looked down and there is the smallest speck of blood on a piece of grass. And I'm like, holy shit, he was right here at some point. And so I, I draw an imaginary line with my brain into this terrain. I go, I look and I look, there's like a little gap in a, over there in a fence. And I, I just walk straight to there. And 30 yards later, 40 yards later, I see a, t- a tuff of fur take two more steps there he is and so wow and so he didn't go 200 yards he died within 200 yards but i think if i had to guess maybe 10 hours of after the shot him still being alive so probably until dark he died late in the afternoon the on the on the uh uh sixth or over the night but how i found him was he was bedded right? Like he died in his, like while he was bedded, then the coyotes got to his rear end and half of his other side. And so they got up in his guts. They ate one of his back straps out. Um, yeah. So they got to him, unfortunately. So I did not get to recover the meat or the Cape, but I got the, uh, antlers. And so is this the way like to end this? I just kind of say, is this the way that you want to win? When you're a bow hunter, that's the answer is no, but it's a win. Right. And so sometimes you win by 50 and it's all good. You know, you, you heart shot them. They fall over dead. You get them, you cut up the meat, you enjoy the Cape and all this stuff. It's awesome. And then there's times where, man, if you haven't, if you haven't missed a deer or hit a wounded a deer in your, in your bow hunting life, congratulations, man. But it happens sometimes. I think we've all been there before. And I do not like it. I don't want to do it, but I'll tell you this, man. Um, I'm happy I found him. And uh, I don't know, man. I I was just, I was relieved that I was able to at least recover him, put the, put the story to the end and, and, and say to myself, you know what? You did everything right, except maybe just in like, I'm not joking, Mark, an inch forward, two inch forward. I'm hitting lung. And so then, then it's a whole different story, right? I don't know. You you must be, you must be doing something right. You must be living right. Your karma must be overflowing (laughs) for the, the good luck on that recovery. Like just the fact that you were just walking around, drop the apple and happen to see that dot of blood. And then you do your Dan Johnson making lines in your head, dots on the map kind of approach to life. And that takes you 30 yards in the right direction. I mean, that was that's miracle quality stuff there. Man, yeah. Um, so that's awesome. Um, and, and I 100% agree with you on how, you know, there are so, so, so many little things that have to line up just right yeah. to get that 50 point win. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very easy. It's very, very easy for you to get a lot of losses. We lose 99 times out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. And then of the one time of a hundred that we win, most of the wins usually aren't 50 point wins either. Right. So, um, it's right. it's so hard to pull that off. But here's my question for you, Dan. Yes. Coming out of this, what's your what's your big lesson? What's your big uh, how do you change? How do you grow? What do you take from this? Cuz I know every single one of our hunts, even the good the good hunts and the bad hunts, we're always taking something. But this right. one I feel like had a whole lot of different little moments that that I could yeah. see as being learning moments. What's your big takeaway? Yeah. And so a lot of it revolves the the, the takeaways and the moments you know, I'll speak on the the property real quick. The property is 
I need to put more time into this spot because it's so good, right? I need to have more tree stand selections get going into next year. That will happen. Um, you know, the terrain and all that stuff and the strategy that it's the moment of truth that I feel I really need to focus on more. Um, I don't necessarily know because I felt calm and collective in the shot. I did last year. I did the year before. Um, and so I guess I, I really need to learn body language on these deer because I feel like there's times where I probably could have got away with a stop. And then there's other times where, I, you know, it's like, man, do not stop this deer. Cause if, if he's going to split and he's not, he's going to get spooked, he might drop, he might just straight up run and then you lose him forever. So I feel like I really need to learn deer behavior or maybe observe during the moment of truth that not the trigger pull, but right before you draw back, what is this deer's behavior like? Am I going to get away with stopping him? And so that's something that I feel like I need to focus on. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the exact scenario I had on my hunt. Yeah. And, and I stopped a buck that I shouldn't have stopped. And he jumped the string by like, 10 12 inches because of it yeah so yeah it's uh it's so hard too like i think if you or me were watching a video of our hunts we would say like oh no yeah yeah, you should do it now or no yeah. oh, no definitely don't yeah. do it now. shoot him no. shoot him it's shoot really him. easy shoot him. as an out yeah. yeah it's really easy as an outside observer to know the right thing to do but when you're in that moment and there's yeah. all the emotion the the pressure all the all like the stuff that led up to it and the urgency of the moment and exactly. and everything and your your brain not operating at full capacity it's so easy to you know do the impulse thing versus the well thought through thing in yeah. that moment and that's golly that's easier said than done exactly exactly so that's the story man um mark i know you got to get out of here you you got to go turn into a babysitter um, I have to go turn into a, I got a parent who has to go to teacher conferences now. So I'm, I'm not in, in kill mode anymore. I still, I'm still going to try to get out and, uh, sh- I have two doe tags left. So I'm going to go try to shoot two does, but I'm back to father, husband, coach at the moment. And, uh, but congratulations on your deer this year so far, Mark. Thank Thanks, you very much man. for the the interview skills that you brought to the table today and uh man is it okay for my first time yeah first time you know rookie rookie luck at this point mark so (laughs) call me rookie of the year (laughs) rookie of the year (laughs) hell yeah and so um and, and then also man if you get out in the tree man good luck the rest of the season thanks buddy congratulations again to you dude awesome awesome buck i'm stoked for you And there you have it. Huge shout out to Mark for taking time out of his day to hop on and uh, interview me today. I I like doing this. It allows me to not just give you guys a a one-on-one podcast, but, uh, you know, have someone else with a different uh, way of thinking and a different point of view and and, uh, really pick it apart. I I really like that. Huge shout out to Mark. And, And for lastly or not lastly but actually probably most importantly huge shout out to all of you guys because without you listening my life does not happen and so i really appreciate everything that you guys have do every listen every download 
Uh, huge shout out to that. And uh, I, I just really appreciate it. If you could find it in your heart, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Let everybody know how awesome this podcast is, what you've learned. There's a lot of you that reach out to me um, through Instagram and Facebook and say, hey, you know, the, this podcast has helped me or I'm new to hunting and, and uh, the learning curve was shortened because you explained something or, or whatever. Take that, take that thank you. And, you know, I love hearing from you guys, but also go to go leave a review for me. Go leave a five star review. Let everybody else know how awesome this podcast is, because that actually helps in the ranking systems of uh, the podcast. And it, it puts gets me a little bit more exposure. Um, and, and I like that. So it helps me out as well. So thank you very much for uh, listening. Huge shout out to Tethered Wasp Hunt Stand Vortex, as well as our um, our network partners. Hunt Stand, Interstate Batteries, Outdoor Edge, Go Wild, Moultrie Mobile, and uh, Hunt Now Hunt Class. So really appreciate that. And other than that, I think um, we're good to go here. There's still plenty of time to go out and get it done, right? So be patient, but also be aggressive. Be safe, all right? Wear your damn safety harness, but also don't forget about the good vibes, man. You send them out you will receive them. So if you have a buddy who's struggling, send them the good vibes. And when they harvest, then the good vibes come back to you. So uh, good vibes in, good vibes out. And we will talk to you on Wednesday.